you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Genesis chapter 22. And actually we'll be looking at the end of the chapter, so closer to 23. We continue our study in the life of Abraham. And last Sunday we examined the incident in which Abraham was commanded to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This is the second incident, the second event in which God's will for Isaac made demands on Abraham's faith. The first was his being born. He had been promised and he is born. This second is here he is told to sacrifice as a burnt sacrifice his son. The third incident we will come to later on uh, as we work our way through chapter 24. First, there are several matters to deal with. The first is in chapter 22, verses 20 to 24. This is news from back home. Uh, Abraham had come from Ur of the Chaldees and then had moved to Haran, and then from there he moved to Canaan. But the rest of the family stayed back. So if you'd look at verse 20 in chapter 22, sometime later Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Reuma, also had sons Teba, Geham, Tahash, and Maaka. Just a side note, we are told, by the way, that Job lived in the land of Uz, and as we will see, the towns were named after people, so it's very possible there's a connection here. We're not sure, I just thought I'd mention it. In chapter 11, following Babel, the story of the Tower of Babel, and leading up to the calling of Abram, we are given the family line of Terah. Terah had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot. That's why Lot was Abraham's uh, nephew. Uh, But he died. So there is now Nahor and Abram, or Abraham now. Abram married Sarai. Nahor married Milcah. Um, All of these years later, Abraham finally gets news of what's going on back home, where he came from, and he's told that his brother Nahor has 12 sons, eight by Milcah, his wife, and four by his concubine. The key, the reason that this is all mentioned, is the person of Bethuel, who in fact is the father of Rebekah, who we will see in chapter 24 in a few minutes. But now let's go to chapter 23. If we were to entitle these first two verses, we would call it the death of a princess. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. You may remember that originally her name was Sarai, and it's changed to Sarah. Um, Both mean princess, but Sarah is considered an updated version of the name, and it points to what is to follow, that is the birth of Isaac. 
The first time we encounter Sarai, she's 65 years old. Abraham is 10 years older than her. He was 75 years old. Um, she gave birth to Isaac when she was 90. Now, 37 years later, she dies. And Abraham goes to mourn and to weep over her. For at least 62 years, they had lived in the light of God's promises, not always choosing the right path, going to Egypt because of a famine, allowing Sarah to be taken by Pharaoh into his household. They both lied to Pharaoh. Then it is Sarah who comes up with the idea of Abraham taking Hagar uh, and to have a child by her. That was really a mistake. And then she and Abraham allow Abimelech to take her into his household right after twice the promise had been made within a year you're going to have a son. However, for all the mistakes they made, it is through Sarah that God's promises came to pass. We know that Abraham had a son with Hagar, and we will learn later that he had six more sons by a concubine, Keturah. But it is Isaac who is the son of promise. In chapter 21, verse 1, we read, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in my old age. As I said last Sunday, I hear such delight in her words. I feel the joy and I share in the joy. It is very much like what we read in Psalm 126, a song of a sense. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. But now we come to chapter 23, and Sarah has died, and her husband mourns and weeps. The rest of this chapter deals with finding a place to bury her. If we would give a title to the rest of the chapter, it would be the Cave of Machpelah. It seems a rather extended passage whose importance may slip by the casual reader, but it is truly important. Follow along as I read verse 3. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, Listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will refuse his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. 
really interesting. Abraham acknowledges his status. I am an alien and a stranger among you. Abraham was called by God and led by God to Canaan. He was promised that Canaan would be his. But Canaan at that time was occupied by various ethnic groups and various political systems. And so he was at the mercy of whoever was in charge. And at this point, it is the Hittites who traditionally are recognized as coming from central uh, Turkey, Anatolia. Uh, But by trade, they have come down into Palestine, into Canaan. They're in charge. But Abraham is protected by God. In Psalm 105, we read, When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. You may remember that this is what God said to Abimelech when he appeared to him in a vision. So, Abraham says, listen, I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. I've got no legal status. The Hittites have a very different view of him. You are a mighty prince among us. Okay, he might be a mighty prince, but there is no political system to which he belongs. Um, It's interesting, Sarah means princess, and now they call Abraham a mighty prince. Yeah, that's fine, but he's not a Hittite. He's not a Hittite. They offer that he can use one of their tombs. He has such an exalted status. He's landless, okay? He's a wanderer. But they recognize something great about him, and they offer one of their tombs. And they assure him, no one will refuse. You pick the tomb, and all of our people will be willing to let you use that for the burial of Sarah. It is interesting even though this seems like a very generous act, it reinforces the reality that he's landless. You have to use one of our tombs, okay? This is our land. You can use one of our tombs. Uh, You're a mighty prince, but you know what? You also have no land. In humility, Abraham asked for his own space to bury Sarah. I'm really struck in verse number seven, Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land. At this point, Abraham's 137 years old. He's 10 years older than Sarah, okay? Um, And you know, I think in most cultures, somebody who's that age would be treated with respect and you would not expect him to bow down. The people would be quite the reverse. But he bows down and he asks in humility that they would intercede with one of their own, someone named Ephron, son of Zohar, to sell him a particular cave in the field of Machpelah. Um, He'll pay the full price. He's not going to bargain. He's not going to haggle. He'll pay the full price, and it would be the burial site for Sarah. It would be among the Hittites. So what is the full price? Look, if you would, at verse 10. Let's keep reading. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham. So when Abraham says, if you'd intercede with Ephron, well, you know, Ephron's right there. Um, he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I will give you the field, and I will give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. 
bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight, uh, weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were divided, were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. So as I said, Ephron is there when this is all going on. And his response is, I will give you the land. You know, let me just give it to you. You know, here in the presence of all my relatives, you know, my people, I say, it's yours, bury your dead. But Abraham wanted to buy it. Okay. And, and that's truly important. Um, because if, in fact, it is given to him, it can be taken back. But if he pays for it, it is his. And so he says, listen, I want to buy it. And Ephron's like, yeah, you know, you know, it's worth 400 shekels of silver, but what's that among friends? Um, as one writer put it, a lot. You know, we don't know exactly how much 400 shekels would be. We think by current measures, 10 pounds of silver, not an insignificant amount. Um, Ephron knew the strength of his position. He knew that if he gave the land and the cave to Abraham, Abraham would be in his debt. On the other hand, if Abraham insists on buying it, he can name his price. So either way, Ephron is in the position of power. By the way, there's something else, and I don't know if you noticed it. Abraham asked about the cave. And what does Ephron talk about? The field and the cave. So it's like, you know, I don't know how much the cave itself would be worth, but he sort of adds to it so that the price of what he is asking goes up. Um, I think Ephron knows Abraham is going to insist on buying it. And for all the flowery language, his price is really outrageous. One commentator calls it unconscionable, 400 shekels of silver. Abraham does not haggle. He doesn't say that's too much. He weighs out the 400 shekels of silver in the presence of the people. As one writer put it, no price was too great for a proper burial place for his beloved Sarah. And so Abraham buries Sarah. Verses 19 and 20. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. 
One might ask, why in fact is this recorded? It's a rather extended, it's not too long, but why is this even included uh, here in the narrative in Genesis? Well, let me ask you a question in response. Who was buried in the cave of Machpelah? Well, we know Sarah was. Abraham was. Isaac was. Leah, oh, sorry, Rebecca was. Jacob was. And Leah, his wife. The three patriarchs and the three matriarchs were all, born, or were all buried in the cave of Machpelah. The cave is, in fact, a token of the reality, the promise that God would, in fact, keep his promise. And it begins, the, begin, the, the concrete evidence of God keeping his promise begins with a cemetery, a burial place. It is where six of the people who are the foundation of the nation of Israel will be buried. God will keep his promise. Now we come to chapter 24, and this is the third incident in which God's will for Isaac makes demands on Abraham's faith. It's a long chapter. We'll go through it, but bear with me. The chapter can be divided into four different scenes. The first is between Abraham and an unnamed servant. I think it's Eliezer, who we've met earlier. Then there is the servant and Rebekah. Then there is the servant and Rebekah's kinspeople. And then finally, we have Isaac and Rebekah. It begins with the problem. Isaac's not married. He's 40 years old. He's not married. And the promise is, okay, yeah, Isaac came along, but it needs to continue after Isaac, but he doesn't have a wife. So that's the problem. And the resolution will be found at the end of the chapter where he does have a wife, and that is Rebekah. Verse 1, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. At this point, he's 140 years old, because Isaac is 40. He said to his chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. But go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So the issue is Isaac needs a wife, and he's 40 years old. We'll find that in chapter 25. He was 25 when he married Rebekah. Abraham is determined that Isaac will not marry a Canaanite woman. Um, So he assigns his chief servant to find a wife for his son. As I said, many people believe this is Eliezer, who's mentioned in chapter 15, that Abraham actually wanted to designate him as his heir so that God's promises would be fulfilled in Eliezer. But here he is unnamed. Um, If, in fact, it is Eliezer, it makes the story, I think, all the more interesting. Um, He could have been the heir. Abraham wanted him to be the heir. But no, it is Isaac. This is a man who is willing to find a wife for the heir when, in fact, he could have been the heir. We see a man of piety, of faith. He is devoted to his master, and he is resolved to do what his master wants. The oath, this is something that is unknown to us. It says, you know, put your hand under my thigh. 
This is done again in chapter 47 when Jacob uh, makes Joseph swear to take his body back and bury him in the cave of Machpelah, interestingly enough. Um, We don't know what this involved. Some people think it involved actually touching Abraham's private parts. Um, All we know is it is a customary way of of swearing in that time, and it was associated with privacy. I mean, this is a solemn oath. Okay? But what if the girl doesn't want to come? Verse 5, the servant asked, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Abraham is confident that God, in fact, will allow his servant to find the, the right woman to be his son's wife. It reminds me of what we saw uh, in chapter 22, when Abraham and Isaac get ready to go up the mountain. He tells the servants, we're going to go up there and worship God, and then we're coming back. It's like, really? You're, you're supposed to kill your son and burn him up, and you're going to come back? But he had faith that God, in fact, could raise Isaac from the dead. And here he has confidence, he has faith that God will provide a wife for his son. So the servant swears the oath and leaves. Verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. Nahor is Abraham's brother. But you will find in the rest of Genesis, the town is usually called Haran, who is his other brother, who is the father of Lot. So that's the first part. This is the problem. We need to find a wife for Isaac. Now the servant and Rebekah, verse 11 He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he was finished praying, Rebekah came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough 
for all of his camels. He has ten camels, remember. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as a room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. There's a lot here. It starts out, it's, it's sunset, it's evening. Uh, he's been traveling for days. I mean, to get from Beersheba up to uh, Mesopotamia, it's, it's a journey. But now they are at the end of a day's journey. Um, and he had the camels kneel down, uh, and he prays. That in itself, I think, is worth noting, that he prayed. And he said, listen, Lord, my master has sent me, and I need to find the right woman for Isaac. And he says, listen, if if there's a woman and I ask, could you give me something to drink? And then she says, sure, and I'll get water for your camels. Then that's the way it is. One could say that he was asking for a sign. Uh, We'll talk about this some more as we go along. But it is not something spectacular or something arbitrary. In fact, it is something quite strenuous. To get enough water for 10 camels would, in fact, bring to light the qualities that, that God would want Isaac's wife to have, that of genuine friendliness and a willingness to serve. Just a side note. Uh, camel is, has been known to drink one-third of its body weight in 10 minutes. And a camel weighs between 1,000 and 1,500 pounds. Okay? And there are 10 camels. Okay? You're talking about a lot of water. And you'll notice as the story goes on, where he is is not exactly where the well is. He has to go back to the well and get water, make this trip back and forth, back and forth. And she does it. It's worth noting that his prayer is answered before he's finished praying. Um, Before he had finished praying, this is verse 15, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. Have we not experienced God answering our prayers before we're finished praying them? This is certainly the case here. And then verse 21, and I'll come back to this at the end of the sermon. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Well, we might say, well, yeah, you had, you said if, if she says this and she said that, so she has to be the one. But there's more to it than that. I think we are... I think we've all at one time or another said, you know, such and such happens, then I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's not what the servant does, is it? 
He says, if she says, yes, you can have something to drink and I'll water your camels, then she's the one. And then he observed, he watched, he looked. He didn't simply say, well, that's it. My prayer is answered. You know, I'm good to go. Um, He observed her. And when the camels had finished drinking, apparently a lot of water, 10 camels, he gave her a nose ring, a gold nose ring that weighed uh, a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Is this payment for the water? We're not told. But then he asked, who are you? It's a little late to be asking that, isn't it? This total stranger. Um, but she tells him that she is the daughter of Bethuel. Um, and then he says, um, Do you, have, you, have you guys got a place where I can spend the night? Um, is there a place where I can stay? And she says, yes. Now, this is really quite remarkable. Um, she offers hospitality freely. And I'm not sure it's hers to offer. She's the daughter. She's not the father or the mother. She's not the head of the household. And yet she's like, yeah, we got plenty of room. We've got food for your camels. And we've got a place for you to stay. His prayer is answered. And what do you have? Doxology. In verses 12, 13, and 14 is the prayer. Now verses 26 and 27 is a doxology. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my, father, my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. That's the second scene. First is the problem. Now we have the servant and Rebecca. Now he has to deal with her family. Okay. Look at verse 28. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Verse 31. Come, You who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder was brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. This is the first time we are told that the servant had others with him. It only makes sense. He's got 10 camels. He's making a long journey. It's not something he's going to do by himself. Verse 33, then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. No delay. He's just like his master Abraham. Remember, God told him you need to sacrifice Isaac early in the morning. They took off. So he recounts the whole story. Verse 34. He said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maidservants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given everything, has given him everything he owns. And my master made me 
swear an oath, saying, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son, from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Even if they refuse to give her to you, you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to my journey or to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside the spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels too. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And I bowed, bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. It's really quite remarkable. It's amazing. Verse 51. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. And let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Again, it's remarkable. It's amazing. When Abraham's servant heard what they, had, what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the Lord, sorry, then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. Again, no delay. Why are we going to wait? Let's do this. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. They want to delay. And that makes sense. I mean, you just don't, you know, next day she's gone. Um, But he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. Again, is this not amazing? They leave it up to her, which I would say in in the Near East, the custom is not the woman gets to decide. It's her family that decides. They leave it up to her and she's like, okay, I'll go. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase 
to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. The family blesses her. They give a benediction. Things have happened so fast. I mean, one day she goes down to get water, and the next morning she's off to be married to someone that she's never met. Verse 61, Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the men. So the servant took Rebekah and left. I don't have children. I don't have a daughter. I'm not sure I'd be willing to let my daughter go so easily. And yet there is no doubt that God is at work in this whole thing. So that's the third scene. Now we come to the fourth scene, and that is, in fact, Isaac and Rebekah, the resolution. Now Isaac had come up from Beer Lahoy Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac has gone out in the field to meditate. Some translations have to pray. He knows that the servant has gone to find him a wife. And he's waiting for the servant to come back. He's wondering, I think, what God has in store for him. He sees the camels. The servant gives a full report. And he marries Rebecca. And it is the custom of that time he takes her into his mother's tent. And she became his wife. And amazingly, not amazing, movingly, we are told he loved her. And he was comforted after his mother's death. It's been three years since Sarah died. And now he has a wife, Rebecca. The promises that God made to Abraham are fulfilled in Isaac, but they need to continue to be fulfilled in Isaac's children. But he's not married, and so he needs a wife, and now there is Rebecca. The marriage of Isaac and Rebecca means that the promise is now going to the next generation. Um, several things stand out to me from what we've read today. The first is that while the servant refers to the Lord as God of my master Abraham, I think there can be no doubt that he also believed in the Lord as seen in his prayer, in his thanksgiving, his doxology, as well as his explanation to Rebecca's family. This is what God has led me to do. Also, the providence of God is seen in the speed of all that happened, especially, I would say, in Rebecca's willingness to go. But it begins with her willingness to give him water and then to water his camels and then to offer hospitality for him and the men with him. But having said all that, I think the one thing that really jumps out at me is I fear that this is sort of a repeat of what we saw uh, in chapter 18. 
And that is that people see this as a model for prayer, what the servant prays before Rebecca comes along. In chapter 18, you know, where Abraham says, what if there are 50 righteous people? What if there are 45? What if there are 40? And people have taken that as a, a model that we should haggle with God. We should uh, bargain with him and get him to agree to our terms. That's not the case, as we've seen. Um, now we come to this chapter, and the servant's prayer for a sign, seemingly a sign, um, has also been viewed by many as a model for prayer. That when we pray to God, we could say, if, you know, if such and such happens, then I know that it's your will for me to do whatever. Um, and I don't think that's what we find here at all. It's not what we should take away from this passage. The point here is not the leadership of God, as much as it emphasizes the faithfulness and the faith of the servant who is doing what he promised his master. The principal characters in this story accept a reading of reality as related to the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. Laban, her brother, and Bethuel, her father, say, we can't stand in the way of this. They have a real sense of God's acting, and they interpret events accordingly. This narrative is, in fact, a reflection on mature faith. Sadly, it's not taken that way by many. One writer put it this way. It, that is a story, asks people not, first of all, to anticipate the faithfulness of God, but to read it in retrospect. We do not always know the gifts of God in advance, but given a perspective of faith, we can in subsequent reflection discern the amazing movement of God in events we had not noticed or which we had not or which we had assigned to other causes. Thus we are like the servant of this narrative who must study the matter to draw a conclusion. Only after such reflection can one draw such a conclusion and assign a meaning a meaning. This test in fact provides tremendous opportunity for the servant to think that he is to think about faith and how it comes. In our culture, but I think it's not just our culture, I think throughout history, we have grasped for visible, tangible signs. We're told that we walk by faith, not by sight, but we still want those things we can see, those signs that in fact this is what we should do. The workings of God are not spectacular, one writer put it, not magical. Disclosure of God comes by steady discernment. I think if we had been the servant and we'd, we'd prayed the way he did, and then Rebecca says, yeah, let me get water for your camel too. We're like, that's it. My prayer has been answered. And that's not what he does. He observes her. He looks for evidence. He isn't simply content to say, oh, you know, it's one of those things where I prayed, you know, if this happens and that's going to happen. He observes and he watches. I dare say, I hope I'm not judging anyone here, that we've probably all been guilty at one time or another of saying, if such and such happens, then I know that this is your will. Um, and I would say that's just not the pattern that God has in mind. That we are to think about things. We are to observe. 
We are to be discerning in what we do. I don't usually inject humor in a sermon, but I remember a roommate I had when I was in Bible college. He would tell us a story that his grandfather used to tell, that when the grandfather was courting the woman who would become his grandmother, one day he was driving home and he said, Lord, I just need to know, I just need a sign to know that this is the woman I'm supposed to marry. And then all of a sudden there was lightning across the sky. And then the grandfather would slightly say, yeah, and I thought he meant yes. We take signs and we, basically it's, we get to do what we want to do. And that's what's happening here. We don't bargain with God. We don't haggle with God. And we don't look for signs without discernment. Prayer involves our thinking, our reasoning. And again, God is greater than us. As I say, he answers prayers we have not prayed. But let us not fall into the trap of sort of a magical view of prayer that, you know, if... If tomorrow there's a red car parked on our block, then I know that I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, that's, that's not it. We are to be discerning. And the servant was. He watched her. She, in fact, gave water to ten camels and provided a place for him and the men with him to sleep. Yeah, this, yeah, this is the woman my master's son should marry. This is a good woman. This is the woman that God has chosen. Let's pray together. Our Father, prayer is a wonderful privilege, but one we don't fully understand. For many of us, even after many, many years, we are tempted to use it for our own purposes, to somehow justify getting what we want or desiring something. I thank you for this faithful servant of Abraham who did cry out to you, who did pray. And in faith he did so. But then he also observed Rebecca. He didn't make a decision simply based on a sign. And we see in his faithfulness that he gives praise, he gives thanks. His prayer has been answered. Abraham was right. You sent your angel ahead and gave the servant success. And now the promises made to Abraham will now transfer to Isaac, the next generation. Sarah's gone. And soon Abraham will be gone. But your covenant with your people will continue with Isaac and Rebekah. It's an extended passage, but I thank you for what it teaches us. That you keep your promises. And if we are your people, we are to walk in faith, not by sight. 
I thank you for bringing us together today and ask that you would go with us as we leave this place. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.